Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Here's the order of the Ottomans, a military history of the Ottomans from Osman to Ataturk, which I'm holding up here. And this is the book we this just the last time he was on last year. And if you want to, you can go check it out after you've heard this episode. I highly recommend it. Or before, it's up to you. And just briefly to recapture, we talked about this the last time as well, but how did he get into Ottoman military history? Well, uh, to make it short, uh, I was a professional officer. Uh, from a very early age, I showed interest about the military history. Uh, but due to the, some bizarre coincidence, I got my BA from management, MA from uh, politics, and PhD from international relations. My real expertise is war studies, which is a subdiscipline of international relations. But I spent quite a long time in the archives. Uh, libraries conducting research about late Ottoman modern Turkish military and uh, most of my publications about military history related uh, it's a kind of a uh, sliding into the subject initially my interest more global uh, showing interest in other countries the modern warfare etc but slowly and surely I slided into late Ottoman era. Uh, I published uh, several books, including the one you show to the viewers. My latest book is uh, The Ottoman uh, Army and the First World War. It was published by Rutledge. Uh, Currently, I am working on several books, one of which would be about the Turkish War of Independence 1919-1922. So slowly I am coming to the modern time period. Mm. Hopefully uh, I will start writing something about the Second World War also. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, I, I, I thought this was, as we are going to discuss the Janissaries today, and, and we're going to make an episode about this as well soon. I, I thought it was worth mentioning that give or take of... I know that several, several Ottoman historians kind of debate when they actually fell, but officially at least. It is a hundred years ago this year since the Ottoman Empire officially fell. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean, there's a growing interest about the Ottoman Empire, especially in the Middle East, but also in Europe and America. Uh, I think it is also related with the general fashion about the empires. I mean, if you take a look at the history titles, history book titles, Mm. you come across lots of books with the empire uh, Mm. term in the title. Mm. So British Empire, Indian Empire, etc. And 
the Ottomans, thanks to the current interests rising from the Middle East and thanks to the centenary, a few years ago, uh, we have the centenary of the First World War. There's a growing interest about the Ottoman history and people would like to understand some of the famous elements of the Ottoman mm -hmm. system, including the genissaries. And because of the Orientalist literature, there's already a very problematic painting of the Ottoman Empire and genissaries in particular. And I mean, slave soldiers, it, it just catches the image, image of uh, lots of people. I mean, because of uh, the current science fiction movies, books, uh, video games, etc. People feel a kind of a wonder, curiosity mm -hmm. about the slave soldiers. Genesis is a kind of a uh, the ideal, the most uh, elaborate version of slave soldiers. So, how because this wasn't a really new invention by the Ottomans, but how do well we have the Mamluks, of course, which has was this uh, failed Arabic version of the Janissaries, but why did the Janissaries succeed whereas the Mamluks failed to do the do what the Janissaries did? Because they ended up in a rebellion, right, and formed their own empire outside the Abbasid Empire. But the, why did the Janissaries succeed? What, what, how did that happen? Uh, I mean, the Janissary is a slave soldier category. And it didn't born out of nothing, it depended on the long Islamic tradition of using slave soldiers. Mm. And as you said, uh, in the uh, Islamic empires, it started with the uh, MOEs, but the real slave soldier concept launched by the Abbasids, uh, the famous or infamous Mamluks, uh, the Abbasi uh, Haliphates, they purchased slaves from uh, the northern Black Sea region, Central Asia, uh, at a very young age. They trained them in spatial training centers. They even constructed a city, Samara, in Iraq for the slave soldiers, training them accommodating them and uh, using uh, them during the peacetime period. But the main difference between the Ottoman system and the Mamluk system was the Ottomans created a well-regulated system making the Janissaries part of the conventional army of the empire. I mean, uh, the Abbasis and other Islamic uh, nations used the Mamluks as a kind of a central conventional army to control the provincial armies, to control the provinces, because previously most of the military personnel, the military units coming from the provinces and uh, the governors from, some, from time to time used their military units to, uh, to fight against the Sultan and came to power. In Ottoman system, the Janissaries 
treated as an infantry course. So uh, it's a conventional light infantry within the organizational system of the Ottoman military. In addition to Genesis, there were other cause like artillery cause, cavalry, uh, combat sport branches, combat service sport branches, mm -hmm. and of course the pro pro provincial troops, Timaroid Spahis. Uh, there are lots of uh, differences between the Mamluk understanding of the slave soldiers and the Ottoman understanding. The Mamluk system depended upon importing slaves uh, from other countries. In the Ottoman system, the Ottomans created a network of conscripting genocides from the Christian subject nations, mainly in the Balkans. Uh, but from time to time, they also conscripted Christian boys in Anatolia also. So instead of purchasing slaves from abroad, the Ottomans made use of their Christian population and they created special uh, system in which without affecting uh, the demographics of the region, they simply uh, took out uh, boys, depending upon their age, physical capacity, etc. What was and the age the... usually that you would find if you to become a janissary? To be taken out, what, what was the age? Now was it nine younger teens, early teens? Well, uh, the system called devshirme, that is. Uh, taking the kids out uh, they should not be uh, very young because at that time there were lots of uh, kid, kids disease so it, they should be uh, older than 9 10 years old but they should not be very old uh, because otherwise you cannot shape the body and the mind according to the military requirements so they should be uh, lower than 15 uh, years old and higher than 9 years old and the number is not very high because during the classical period the total number of the genesis initially it started with 1000 and during the peak of the classical period the numbers reach around 60 to 70,000 soldiers so uh, we are not talking about thousands of kids being taken forcefully from their families, but we are talking about dozens uh, or numbers below 50s every year. Mm. And after taking these kids, uh, the Ottomans distribute them to Turkish families in Anatolia in order to get learning the Turkish language, but at the same time learning Islam, uh, traditional Turkish lifestyle, and collecting them from the families and putting them into a training center. In this training center, they continue training until uh, there are positions available within the genocide cause due to the retirement, killing, disease, etc. So for, for some uh, 
boys this training period may last 10 15 even 20 years but some other lucky ones because of a uh, presence of a war they may ju- they might just spend 5 or 7 years within the training system hmm. so the nucleus of this system is shaping the body and the mind of the boys according to the requirements of the uh, military and that uh, was think, the key of their success i think i would be a terrible janissary i would probably kicked out of the court because i would be too lazy to no nah, i don't want to do it today i would probably be kicked out to be fair well uh the ottomans employ lots of uh, methods uh, to make you more eager uh, <laughs> because when you enter into the system there's no way out if they found you not suitable to become a janissary they would uh, assign you to other small labor some combat service sport units and if you are very bright very intelligent and physically beautiful, then you might end up in palace schools. They called Enderun. And in palace schools, they educate the future uh, administrative and military high-ranking officers. But they weren't castrated. They weren't eunuchs, in a sense. They, like we see in the Game of Thrones series. They, were, they, were, they weren't like the army you see like uh, the Nerys. No, no physical mutilation. There's no physical mutilation. The only thing uh, that would happen when you enter into a genocide regiment called it Orta, every regiment has a special symbol and they would tattoo on your left shoulders the symbol of the regiment. Mm. And you will, most uh, in most cases, you will remain in the same regiment until you die or got retired. In some uh, isolated ca- cases, if you change regiment, with a knife, they would cross oh. the old tattoo and you will get new tattoo under the old one. And this is not very honorable to change regiment. It's very uh, unusual for the uh, Genesis because these boys saw their regiment, the Genesis saw their regiment as their family. Hmm. And their father was the Sultan. So Sultan was the father and the regiment was the family. So for a genocide, the harshest punishment is not uh, capital punishment, but being kicked out of regiment would be the harshest punishment because you are you are being uh, kicked out of your family. So something that we should discuss as well, because in Europe after the Roman Empire, there would be no, they would only recruit men for war when they were needed. They didn't have a standing army. So what was really unique at the time as well was that Janissaries would be the first standing army after the Roman Empire. A first standing infantry cause would be more proper right. uh, uh, naming. After the Romans, the Janissaries. Uh, were the first standing infantry corps. And like the Roman legionnaires, uh, the way how they live, well-regulated 
system during the peacetime, also during the wartime. The state taking care of most of the needs of the genocities, food, clothing, weapons. So uh, weapons uh, did not belong to the genesis. Weapons belonged to the state. And when they were sent to a campaign, until they reached the combat zone, they would never carry weapons. So the weapons carried by the uh, special troops called Jebeji in uh, carts, and when they reach the com uh, combat zone, they will distribute the weapons to the genocides. Hmm. And this is kind of genius, and because if you know this would avoid mutiny in the genocide, if they decided that we don't want to fight for which would of course happen later, but we are going to come to that. But in the at least in the early years of the classical period that we're talking about right now, have kind of avoided but, uh, the mutiny, that, that, right? There were rebellions, there were rebellions even during the uh, foundation period of the genocides. Uh, it's an elite troops, elite units, elite soldiers with lots of uh, privileges, but they also from time to time became angry because of their commanding officers, because of the situation, because of the sultan, etc. So there were a series of mutinies uh, even during the classical period, but these rebellions, mutinies became important after Yenicheris gained uh, certain numbers, 20,000, 50,000, and in later period, more than 100,000 mm. soldiers. And they became, like the Romans, praetorian guards uh, protecting the sultan, but from time to time, uh, rebelling against the sultan and getting a new sultan on the throne. So the classical Praetorian issue. Uh, and of course, for this kind of rebellions to be successful, there should be leaders. And that was the key of all the rebellions. Uh, the normal genocide mutinies or rebellions were not dangerous. They became dangerous when they formed proper leaders, able to establish alliances with a faction within the palace, some of the key pashas, important state functionaries, and if possible, uh, a group of people in Istanbul or where they were rebelling. So the key to success, to have a leader and to create an efficient mm -hmm. alliance. Without that, the genocide rebellions would be easy to deal with it. So how often would a rebellion or mutiny occur? Uh, not very often, but don't forget we are talking about uh, early modern period mm. and rebellions very common in all the militaries. And most often these rebellions start because of the poor quality of the food. Don't forget uh, the state should deliver the food. Uh, the salary, because genocide is receiving salary every three months and uh, early modern age means uh, lots of silver coming from the uh, America, Southern America, disrupting the uh, traditional economic system, causing an increase in inflation, the value of silver uh, reducing and genocide salaries dependent upon the silver. 
And don't forget, we are talking about medieval style economies, no cash economy. The Ottomans <laughs> uh, during the classical and later period did not have a cash economy. So finding money to pay uh, the sellers of the genesis was a very difficult issue even during the golden age of the Ottomans. So not receiving the salary on time, uh, inflation, uh, long campaigns. I mean, uh, during the Mehmet the Conqueror period, Mehmet who uh, captured Constantinople, because he uh, launched so many campaigns, the Genesis became very, very angry because most of the time they were campaigning either in the Balkans, in Anatolia, everywhere, including Italy. And because the Ottomans did not have a naval infantry or maritime type soldiers, marines, uh, they made use of Genesis also for Navy campaigns. So you see Genesis fighting in Malta Island also. Something I want to talk about is so you let's say I'm a young young Janissary recruit. I've been taken from a family. I'm arriving in Istanbul. I just signed my unit. What would be what would be the training for a Janissary corps like? What would I go through? Uh, after reaching Istanbul, uh, that would be a selection taking a look at the physical shape of the uh, boys, their intellect, uh, they will be separated. Some of the bright one, bright ones will be would be picked up for the palace schools. Some of the boys not seen fit for genocide cause would be given to combat service sport units uh, to become an artisan, uh, and the ones selected for Janissary course would be sent to the training course named Ajemi Oja. So Ajemi means newcomer. And this training, like I said, would spend uh, more than 10 years because the boys selected for Ajemi Oja initially sent to the Anatolia to Turkish families. They would spend at least four to five years with these families to learn language to learn uh, Islam religion. And then they will return back after four and five years to the Ajemi Oja. And at the training course, they will receive basic military training, physical training. And depending upon their aptitudes, they may be selected to learn special type of weapons. But during the classical period, all the geniuses should know Archery, because that was the main weapon of the Genesis during the classical period, and should know how to use sword and spear. Uh, when they were selected after graduating from training course, finding empty slots within the Genesis regiments, depending upon their uh, talents, they may be selected for elite regiments, because within the Genesis course, some of the regiments seen as elite, others ordinary line infantry. Hmm. And when, for example, uh, firearms introduced into Genesis course, initially 
a few regiments selected to use firearms where the others continue to use arrows and some Janissary uh, units had special weapons like uh, uh, using uh, the Ottomans called Tatar arrow uh, in English it is known as uh, Arbalet or Genovese uh, arrow so uh, there was one regiment specially tailored to use this uh, weapon there were some regiments uh, serving for hunting purposes for the Sultan taking care of the Sultan's horns Sultan's uh, birds of praise so getting into these regiments means you are better than your classmates your fellow uh, graduates what was there a lot of competition to get into this regiment for, between of course uh... very, very uh, intense competition because your future depends on it in genesis system uh, there was no special difference between the soldiers and the officers so you enter as a soldier private and depending upon your combat success your abilities your intellect you get promotions initially you become an NCO non-commissioned officer later on you become an officer so there was no separate officer course there was no separate mm professional military education. So every officer within the uh, genesis system, except the commanding officer of the whole, whole course, coming from the uh, very basics, from the private reaching NCO, becoming officers, becoming regimental commanders, and becoming more higher. So and we should mention this as well, that in Europe at the time, if you wanted to be an officer or a higher rank in military, you had to be born nobility or have be very wealthy. Uh, in, in Genesis system, no. Mm. Uh, there was a military nobility in the Ottoman system, but that nobility controlled the provincial troops. Uh, Timaroid Spahi. So Timaroid Spahi were actually a military nobility. And in addition to Timurid Spahi, there were some provincial units completely based on feudal system of these regions, especially in the Balkans. But within the genesis, no nobility, no uh, special uh, privileges because of your blood. Uh, everything depends upon your capability, intellect, and of course, connections. Uh, don't forget, we are talking about early modern world. Uh, it is important that uh, you need to build up a social network. Uh, and sometimes it is not important what you know, what you're uh, capable of, but your connections, the people who gets you ahead will play an important role. Hmm. So how did you make these connections? What, what did you have to do to get the right well, uh, connections? Especially the connections within the regiments. But after getting promotion to the officer ranks, you need to build up connections with the uh, palace, with the high-ranking officers also. 
and the campaigns serving in the provinces provide you lots of opportunities to establish good connections with different factions. Because although there's one sultan, uh, there were lots of competing groups, cliques, fighting uh, with each other to get battle positions to control the state mechanism. So when you become an officer within the Genesis system, you will have chances to establish connections with these uh, power groups also. Mm. But don't forget, the Genesis system did not remain the same. It changed, it evolved. I mean, initially, Devşirme, picking boys from Christian families in the Balkans, was the key element of recruitment. At the very early period, they also made use of prisoners of wars, young prisoners of wars selected to serve Genesis, but they dropped this system and transformed completely to the Devşirme. But later on, with the numbers of the Genesis increasing, uh, the Genesis, although initially it was forbidden to get married, they started to get married and they uh, they had sons and they would like to enroll their sons into the Genesis cause. So throughout the time, uh, the sons of the Genesis started to enter into the cause and they became uh, the main uh, source for the genissary cause. So to become a genissary, you need to become the son of a genissary. And from time to time, the sultans uh, recruited from other groups in which, according to the classical system, completely forbidden to take. Uh, for example, they recruited boys from the Muslim families. It was, according to the classical system, completely forbidden. But, because, you know, at, in the beginning, you know, and we forgot to mention this, I believe, that people were hid the families or married off their children at the early age to avoid for them to become an janitor core. But in the, later on, they started seeing benefits of sending their sons into the janitor core, right? But eventually, Muslim women families would try to send, although it wasn't successful in the beginning, later on, as you said, the Muslim families would also try to see the they began to see the benefits of sending their kids yeah, of course. to Janissaries. I mean, uh, because the Janissaries uh, became the king makers, very powerful, privileged cause, getting good salary, hmm. and uh, it became a kind of an attraction point for everyone, especially the people living in Istanbul would like to uh, enroll their sons into the genissary cause because not the only the uh, monetary financial benefits but having a relative in genissary cause means you have a protection within the city because later on after the end of the classical period uh, late 16th century uh, 17th and 18th centuries genissaries created a kind of a network in Istanbul or in big cities they are located and they started to control the dynamics of the city also uh, because uh, with the inflation 
the re reduction of the salaries, the genesis unable to survive just depending upon their salaries. So they became low-level artisans, they became low-level laborers, owning small shops, uh, dealing with carrying goods from one place to another. And from the very beginning, the genesis units tasked with some uh, additional duties. For example, if the genesis in Istanbul, they were also responsible for uh, dealing with fires. So fire brigade, they were also responsible for protection of the citizens performing special duties. They were tasked to protect the embassies, the foreign ambassadors, and there were lots of other duties, including uh, policing the crowds, uh, dealing with markets, selling, buying issues, etc. So they also carried out some of the responsibilities of the municipalities. And after the end of the classical age, especially in uh, 17th, 18th centuries, Genesaries gained immense power in big cities like Istanbul. So being a member of the Genesis means you are a part of the privileged class. You are under really, the, like the nobility class within. Yeah, okay. but uh, like not like the uh, standard nobility because uh, mm. not always it is passing from father to son. Right. You can enter the core from other uh, places. And in Istanbul, for example, uh, most of the shops having a symbol next to the label showing which uh, Yeniçeri regiment is protecting that particular mm. shop, etc., uh, so, slowly and surely, Genesis transformed into a social class, not only a military class, but also a social class. And the Genesis had special certificate uh, showing that they are member of the uh, corps, and with this certificate, they received their salary. And in uh, 17, 18 centuries, this certificate started to be uh, sold and sold like uh, stock exchange uh, certificates. The so, people, yeah, sorry, sorry, go on. So uh, you can purchase a Genesis certificate as if you are purchasing a stock exchange certificate. And every three months with the certificate, you can get uh, the salary. So it becomes a tool of investment. And interestingly, the Genesis was the first court created their pension system, uh, collecting a certain amount of money from each member after each salary. They created a special treasury in every regiment. And after reaching a certain age or after losing your arm or your leg, you might get retirement and uh, uh, your regiment continue to pay you. Instead of state, you get pension from your regiment. And this system later on extended. So from the very beginning, the genesis were part of the economy because the money accumulated at the pension funds being invested, 
for different uh, businesses to gain an extra interest, to gain an extra money. So this pension funding also very interesting aspect uh, of the uh, genocidal cause. So they were always part of the economy, but later on they became a social economic class in big cities like Istanbul. And by becoming a social economic class, they lost their military qualities. And that was the very big problem for the Ottoman Empire because they couldn't able to move the genocides out of Istanbul and send them to uh, campaigns. Now, did people ever try to fake the you know, genocide for their own personal benefit? Like they get a costume, steal a costume and try to portray being a genocide? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, one of the interesting uh, clothing of the genesis, they always wear uh, their pants a bit shorter, shorter than uh, normal. And, and they tie uh, their pants uh, over their legs and that was a kind of a visual symbol showing that you are a member of the core and there were lots of youngsters imitating this and if the genesis find out that you are fake you would get a serious beating uh, but like in any situation people would like to imitate the fashion of the privileged uh, military units like the current times in which civilians wearing some special force uh, paraphernalia, special uh, forces, uh, baseball hats, etc. It was like that during the uh, Ottoman period. One thing that I forgot to mention, why uh, the Ottoman state increased the number of the genocides, because the genocides were expert in firearms. With the changes in the uh, combat, with the increased dependence on firearm carrying infantry, uh, the Ottomans had no other choice but to increase the number of the genocides. And with the increase of the numbers, the traditional devshirme collecting kids from the Christian families could not work. So they had to uh, enroll all the sons of the genesis into the core and mm. sometimes during emergency period other groups also uh, got into the core and with the numbers increasing controlling them became a huge problem so this was also something related with early modern firearm carrying infantry corps system like in Spain mm. or in Italy in other states the difference was, uh, for example, Spanish depended on mercenaries more than having a professional corps. Mm. The Ottomans preferred to uh, keep, uh, preferred to increase the numbers of the genesis instead of hiring mercenaries. The Ottomans also hired mercenaries, but did not hire in several thousands. They preferred to. Mm. Uh, based upon their conventional military. Something else yeah, I think is worth mentioning as well is that in the beginning, the genocide, like we said, genocides weren't, and there's a reason why they weren't allowed to marry, because if you were married and had a family, you had a reason to come back to, you know, for lack of better words, stay alive for 
to fight for your family, but if you didn't have a family were not permitted to anyone but your poor, then you didn't have any I don't know how else to express this, but you didn't have anything else to live for, so it didn't really matter if you died, you had you were fighting for Sultan, you were fighting for your court to stay and stay within your core and there was there was a reason why you weren't allowed to marry in, in the beginning at least. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the regiment was your family. The sultan was your father. Mm. And you show absolute obedience and loyalty to the sultan, no matter what. Mm. And that was the key element of the genocide philosophy. And that was the reason why the Ottoman sultans created a slave army, uh, because that slave army completely depended upon the sultan. They had no social connections no family connections to protect them, to promote them. But within the evolution, slowly and surely, Genesis created their families. They established social connections, and that created a huge problem within the Ottoman political system. And at the same time, they lost their military uh, qualities by spending most of their time for civilian uh, jobs, occupations, depending upon their social connections, and the system uh, later on destroy itself. So mm -hmm. when uh, Mahmoud II completely abolished and destroyed the core in 1826, very few of them had some military value. So in 1826, the genocide core was actually a social and economic class in big cities. We will come back to that later, of course, but I, I want to ask, when we talk about marriage and families within the gender series, was it, if, I don't know what to use myself as an analogy here, if I married a Muslim woman within the Istanbul or married someone, would would that be frowned upon if, if I'm, if I don't, if you were a girl and you married a janissary, would that be frowned upon by family, or was that, was that the like prestige? Uh, no. Uh, first of all, when the marriage, uh, abo uh, marriage rules uh, accepted, so the uh, janissaries had the chance to get married. They need to reach a certain age. Mm. So not all janissaries could able to marry. They need to uh, reach an age generally 35, 36, etc. They receive a special permission from their offices for marriage. And after that, they need to spend uh, certain days within the regiment to participate in training and other kind of military duties. So... Uh, every week, a few days allow for the married uh, janissaries to spend time at their homes, but the rest of the time, they need to be in the regiment. Mm -hmm. And of course, during the campaign seasons, uh, the families will remain in Istanbul or other cities remain there. Uh, but when the, the system gain, relax, and relax, more lax, the discipline, lost. The genesis started to spend most of their time at their homes or their civilian jobs, not coming to the their barracks or participating in the military training. And it became a 
reason for most of the rebellions when the officers tried to enforce more strict military training, more drills, the genesis rebel against it because they had their uh, civilian jobs to do and they have uh, they had their families to take care. Something that I haven't talked about yet, I and mean, we talked about about the function of the genesis, but I want to talk about the genesis on campaigning. For now, how because. And uh, I wanted to ask before we go into this. I didn't talk about sexuality and se- and families, but was was there a lot of sex? I mean, I, I don't imagine there was much, but it, was there ever sexual frustration between the genocide or Do we know if there was such things? Well, there are some uh, examples, but I mean, uh, the Ottoman army, the Ottoman military was very different from the European militaries. So during the uh, classical age, uh, everything well regulated. And uh, don't forget the Ottoman army was alcohol free. Mm. So no barrels of wines or liquor following the uh, army. Well, to uh, see the me out then. And uh, no l- long tail of prostitutes and others. Uh, campaign trailers following the army. Uh, the Ottomans arranged even the merchants who would join the campaign. So all the merchants had to present a certain portion of uh, their artisanal or other kind of skills into the campaigning army. So, uh, for example, there should be some shoemakers, some leather uh, professional artisans, iron smiths, etc. to join the army to deal with the needs of the uh, campaigning soldiers. And additionally, the Ottomans, unlike the Europeans, had well-established professional combat service support units dealing with the needs of the army. And the Ottoman army also bring them with special merchants who would purchase goods on the road to the battlefield, either in uh, the empire or in enemy territory. These merchants were responsible to purchase goods from the local people and sell them with profit to the army. And uh, Genesiris, because they are privileged, they had uh, priority to buy good items from the merchants and other troops would buy what is left at the stocks of the merchants. So it's a, the campaign system is something like the Romans, well uh, regulated without the problems of the campaign trailers, hundreds of prostitutes, ill characters, gamblers or wine or liquors and in terms of the sexual issue there were lots of orientalist tales about homosexual relations between the genesis etc it was not uh, true i mean they had uh, their sexual issues even the sexual issues well regulated and when they camped somewhere and if they had some time uh, the officers will give leave 
to the soldiers so the soldiers can go out, spend some money and return back. But there was no uh, homosexual chains within the core in which there were lots of lovers in between. Very few examples. But but as you know, whenever they besieged the city, they were usually allowed three days of pillage in the city as it was in Islamic law. And did you did rape ever occur ever while we were talking about sexual frustration, sexuality? Uh of course. I mean we are talking about although highly trained, privileged, professional military, we are talking mm. about early modern period. Okay. Mm. So Think about what the Europe was during the early Middle period. The Ottomans try not to damage the Congo regions, the cities. They try to control this kind of looting, pillaging. But in order to encourage soldiers to fight, they need to give that uh, to them. And that was very standard. But later on, the Ottomans stopped pillaging and looting completely and they instead assign special uh, task officers to milk the sources of the Congo region for the benefits of the army because the ordinary looting system giving three days free looting means uh, no matter the uh, control system, there will be lots of destruction, damaging, killing, etc. But later on, they introduced a very regimented system and taking out the valuables from the uh, Kongur city in a regulated way and distributing these uh, valuables to the soldiers under centralized control. But don't forget, the Ottoman were part of the early modern Europe. So everything you are witnessing in early modern Europe, you can find connections with the Ottomans. So they were not isolated. They were not coming from uh, the space. They were part of that social economic system. And they they might be better in some aspects, but don't forget they were part of the early modern Europe. And uh, let's talk about campaigning, so, because as we spoke about last year, when you were on, we spoke about the Ottoman army in general. You, you agree that the first of usually the Bashibatus were sent first, and then the regular army. But what? But during like a siege or battle, when was the use of janissary in in a ba- in a battle or siege? Well. Uh... First of all, the Genesis was not the only combat unit within the Ottoman army. They were part of the conventional uh, military, but in addition to that, there was provincial uh, forces, uh, Timaroid cavalry, and also provincial infantry. Most of these provincial infantry were mercenaries, local mercenaries. In addition to that, there was some auxiliary units recruited from the region or nearby regions. Uh, Especially in the Balkans, there were lots of auxiliary elements, Christian soldiers serving at the Ottoman army with their own traditional weapons under their own traditional officers. 
are feudal lords. So the Ottomans get rid of the high-ranking feudal uh, aristocracy in the Balkans, but they kept the middle-ranking and low-ranking uh, aristocrats. And these guys introduced into the Ottoman military system with special names and serving for the military depending upon their local expertise. So some of them as cavalry, some of them infantry. But later on, after uh, 16th, 17th centuries, all these Christian auxiliary units transform into combat service sport elements, not taking part in actual fighting, but sporting the uh, campaigning army with different services, including transportation, etc. So in a normal battle during the classical age, that would be at the front, a screening force consists of uh, provincial cavalry and mercenary infantries. So these were the first guys to fight with the enemy, uh, creating an screen in front of the main uh, army. The Janissaries and most of the conventional military would remain at the center. Provincial troops would be at the wings, at the right wing, at the left wing. So depending upon the location of the battle, if it is taking part in Europe, the right wing would be the European provincial troops and the left wing would be Asian uh, provincial troops. If the battle is taking part in Asia, then the right wing would be Asian provincial troops and the left wing would be European provincial troops. The Ottomans always made use of uh, mercenaries, either part of the provincial troops or specially selected for them. And these mercenaries generally used for dangerous duties. So they were generally the first soldiers to face the enemy. And the Ottomans tried to protect their highly uh, valued genesis until the very end, uh, not to uh, show them, not to suffer unnecessary casualties until making the final punch to the enemy. So the Ottoman classical combat system depend upon defense. With the light cavalry, the Ottomans tried to uh, influence the enemy to attack uh, to the well-established uh, center region. The Janissaries established uh, what the uh, Germans called Wagenburg system. That means imitating uh, the Czechs and the Hungarians, the Janissaries remain behind the war cards. These war cards got uh, connected with each other and these cards establish a kind of a mobile fortress at the battlefield. So the Genesis generally remain behind it. Some of the Genesis with heavy weapons, heavy rifles, small artillery pieces uh, placed inside these war cards. These war cards specially designed having very thick wooden planks with openings for firearms or some large arrows like uh, barista type weapons. 
So the cavalry tried to uh, attack the enemy and force the enemy to come forward and assault the Ottoman central line. The Janissary wait behind this war cards, Wagenburg, and tie down the enemy attack, cause casualties, destroy the enemy assault formation. And when they uh, find out that the enemy is weak enough, they would launch their attack, passing uh, between the special passages of the war cards and attacking them. The Genesis, uh, Genesis during uh, 17th century started to uh, practice rolling fire. That means establishing lines uh, with firearms, five to six lines, and each line firing the enemy, the second line moving forward, firing it, the third line moving forward, the fourth line, the fifth line, and the first line finally load, loaded the uh, firearm rifles and start firing. This rolling fire system uh, was used uh, many times by the Genesis and as far as I understand, they discovered this independent of the developments taking part in Europe because this rolling fire system first introduced by the uh, Dutch. I don't think there was any connection between the Dutch and the Genesis about it. Now, let's talk before we go to the abolition of the Janissaries. And I want to talk about corruption. We, we spoke briefly about this, but let's talk about corruption within Janissaries. And this is mentioned in Sir Noel Malcolm's Useful Enemies as well, that even in Europe they began to see the corruption in the late 17th century, that they, how corrupt the Janissaries would be. So that's, how did the corruption happen? Did it happen well, gradually? Uh, I mean... Ordinary corruption was always part of the system. I mean, don't forget, we are talking mm. about early modern Europe and mm. corruption was part of every system. The Genesis system initially uh, not affected by corruption. The levels remain very low. But when they increased the number of the Genesis, when they started to employ Genesis for many things, including putting them in fortresses at, as fortress guards, using them for internal security duties, dealing with rebels, bandits, etc. And with the changing of the system of enrolling many uh, boys, which according to the conventional system should not be part of the uh, genocidic cause and because of the economic difficulties long campaigns the treasury unable to pay the salaries the basement of the money inflation the genesis started to uh, work in civilian jobs in order to survive having their families so the whole system transformed this was not necessarily very bad because you could not able to find many soldiers uh, with the same quality. So the Ottomans knowingly started to lower the quality, increase the numbers. So increase in quantity, decrease in quality. And of course, with the increase of the quantity, you will face more corruption. 
and Genesis now having families, having social connections, becoming part of the big city's social system, transforming from a military core to a social economic class. Uh, the things we are talking about corruption may not be in reality a corruption. I mean, uh, in classical sources, they accuse Genesis uh working as artisans or working as shopkeepers but uh, these people with their family somehow should have to survive their salary is not enough was not enough and the government turning a blind eye how they were surviving and in time the genesis lost their military qualities and instead of acting like military court they act like a social class and their rebellions transformed from military rebellions into social economic rebellions. Uh, unfortunately, most of the modern historians forgetting about this, forgetting that after uh, 17th century, especially during 18 and until uh, 1826, 19th century, beginning of 19th century, we are talking about not a military class. We are talking about a social economic class. And the things you label as corruption, in reality, not uh, corruption anymore. Uh, the problem is you could not have an elite call in hundreds of thousands. I mean, uh, at the... Then it's not an elite call anymore. We are talking about... 150,000, 170,000 Genesis. I mean, you could not able to create that number well-trained elite troops. We are talking about mass infantry, cheap infantry that you can easily use in the battles. You can easily replace it with new recruits. And um something we just did justice on the podcast before, but it's this as something that as well that Janissaries would be kind of a stopper for in the Ottoman Empire is progress and it's this increase and in and having families as we talked about was that part of what made the Janissaries stop the progress of the Ottoman Empire? Oh uh, yes, of course, because they had invested interests to protect mm. the traditional system. Mm. Uh, because the military reforms that had been introduced into the Ottoman Empire were also transforming the social and economic system, transforming the uh, whole uh, political social system of the empire. So Genesis, with their invested interests against them, but I think there's a kind of an execration about the genocidal opposition. I mean, the Ottomans able to introduce modern artillery without having any problems with the genocidists. They created special troops, for example, bombardiers, uh, and there was no uh, opposition from the genocidists. The genocidists acted as a social economic class to protect their privileges. The sultans made a terrible mistake when they created, uh, when they 
started military reforms, they tried to create a parallel army next to the Janissaries because they couldn't able to deal with the Janissaries as a social class. They tried to build a new army uh, trained according to the modern European uh, methods, able to use modern weapons, able to employ modern techniques and techniques next to the Genesis. And that was a kind of a recipe for disaster because when Genesis uh, realized that this new army would create a problem for the established privileges, established interests, they immediately rebel. And that was what happened during Selim the third period. Selim created a new army, Nizamajid it, and the Genesis rebel against it. Selim uh, could not show the courage to use it as new army. If Selim did have the courage like Mahmoud II, the new army could able to destroy the Genesis completely. But Selim III unable to show that courage and the new army destroyed by the Genesis rebels. We need to pay attention that Genesis rebels, especially during 18th and early 19th century, mostly social and economic rebellions, because we are no longer talking about a military core. We are talking about a social and economic class. Right. So let's talk about the end of the Genesis story and Mahmoud II, as you mentioned briefly earlier. And uh, what, what was the state of the Genesis like during Mahmoud's period? Was the Sultan more... Did he feel like he was more a puppet of the Janissaries, or was it like he didn't feel like he was relevant anymore? Well, because it was until, quite a bloody affair. Until seventeen seventies, the Janissaries had some military capacity. Until seventeen seventies, but after that, that date, date, they were completely useless. So they were useless against the foreign enemies. They were useless against the domestic enemies, rebellions, etc. And 1770 is also the start of the famous Ottoman-Russian wars. The Russian Empire slowly but surely grabbing the uh, provinces of the Ottoman Empire. Initially, the provinces around the uh, northern Black Sea coastline, Crimea and uh, near-boring region, and later capturing the Caucasus, taking it out from the Ottomans. So the Ottoman sultans got into a difficult position. The traditional army they had completely useless against the uh, Europeans, completely useless for internal security purposes, and in fact creating problems because of them. And they had no easy remedy how to take this problematic group out and create a new army. Selim III tried to create a parallel new army and hoped to uh, deal with the Genesis in time, slowly, without making any big fuss. Uh, but it didn't work. And Mahmoud II waited very long to establish the necessary alliance system, establishing alliance with the civil population in Istanbul 
establishing alliance with the religious class, the ulema, establishing alliance with other military corps, the artillery corps and others. He slowly created a network of alliance and after reaching a certain power, he unleashed this alliance against the Genesis and killing most of the Genesis he managed to capture and solving the problem uh, drastically. It's got a genius solution to slowly instead of just dealing with like, like this. It's quite a genius solution. Well, he was known, Mahmoud II, known in Ottoman uh, history as the second founder after the Osman, mm. who initially founded the empire. Because Mahmoud II destroyed the whole classical military system. And by destroying them, he also destroyed uh, the classical social and economic system. So by removing the genesis, not only change the Ottoman army, but also change the society, especially in Istanbul. But the problem with Mahmud, uh, he focused too much on destroying the Genesis. He didn't think much about how to create a new army. So Selim III put focus on creating a new army. Mahmud focused on destroying the old army. So when the Genesis got out of the system. The uh, empire left without any military troops other than mercenaries. So uh, when the governor of Egypt, Mehmet Ali, rebelled against the Ottoman Empire, uh, there were no conventional military to fight against the governors. And the governors, able to defeat the Ottoman armies and nearly reach Istanbul, uh, Britain and France stopped uh, the, uh, and also the Russians stopped the uh, Egyptians to continue to advance to Istanbul. Without the foreign help, uh, the Egyptian government could able to capture the capital city Istanbul and the end of the Ottoman dynasty. It would, the world would look quite different if they hadn't interfered, I believe. Yes, of course. I mean, because uh, that was the design of the Mehmet Ali. He would like to create a dynasty of his own. And he did. Well, he did create a dynasty, but only in Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> in a small part. Uh, so, Mahmud destroyed the Genesis and had to spend a very long time to create a modern army. And he founded the first military academy, uh, the Ottoman Imperial uh, Military Academy to train uh, officers according to the European system. He created training centers for ordinary soldiers. He opened up lots of military occupational uh, schools for different uh, military branches. So he was the real founder of the uh, second Ottoman Empire, let's say. But unfortunately, he did not see the benefits of it during his lifetime because he died... Uh, in 1838, uh, when he heard the news that uh, Egyptians defeated the last Ottoman army in Konya. So that was the tragic end of the Mahmoud II.
would you say that the Ottoman army became kind of irrelevant after the abolishment of the genocide coup? Well, until uh, 1870s, the Ottoman military did not mandle with the politics. So they remain separated from the political system. They remain separated from uh, this uh, changing of the power in the capital city. So they were not part of the political games, political cliques using military to achieve their aims, etc. They were not part of it until uh, 1870s. So that was one of the uh, legacy of Mahmoud II. His army, at the beginning, unable to withstand the foreign enemies, but his army was a loyal army, listening all the orders of the Sultan and able to deal with internal enemies most of the time. So that was a big uh, improvement because Genesis completely useless against the foreign enemies and also useless against the domestic problems. But Mahmoud II created an army and by using that army, he managed to centralize the empire again, dealing with local dynasties, local power brokers, destroying their power bases, dealing with all the rebellions. Although Mahmoud's army being defeated by the Russians several times, being defeated by the Egyptian provincial military, he did manage to deal with most of the local players centralizing the Ottoman system and his sons and grandsons got benefit out of it. I mean, we made an episode last year as well about the Ottoman Reformation and the Mount with Virginia Alexander, which I highly recommend checking out as well. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most of the historians focus narrowly on the Ottomans only, forgetting about what is going on mm. in the region, forgetting about what is going on in Europe and world. So when we are dealing with these issues, we need to consider the bigger picture all the time. When you are talking about genocides rebelling again and again, don't forget that there were lots of rebellions taking place in Spanish army, mm. lots of rebellions balance taking place in Britain, actually a civil war taking place in Britain. So we need to see the big picture all the time when we are evaluating the Ottoman military. Hmm. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have you back here. Always welcome to this podcast. If people want to read this book or any of your other books, uh, they find a new book you're working on when it's released. Where can people find those? Okay. Thanks. Do you have anything you want to promote before you go? Anything on social media where people can f- find you? Uh, no problem, I mean, you know your business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a scholar talking a lot. Thank, Thank you, you for the time. invitation. Hope Thank. to see you again. Take care. Thank you. We are disciplined with that as well. We are available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find us. We are also on Twitter and well, that age 12. Please like, share and subscribe. And I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 